Welcome back to Beat Seeker. I'm your host, Matt McButter. In each episode, we explore the shifting world of music with world-renowned experts and artists to take you deep, deep inside the fascinating and changing world of music technology and music discovery. And I'm your host, Mike Weider, reminding you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating if you like the episode. You can visit our website at beatseeker.fm where you'll find plenty of rabbit holes with extra content to dive into, guest backgrounds, and even a playlist with music recommendations from each of our guest episodes. Also, Beatseeker swag. You can stay current and talk to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at BeatseekerPod. Music listeners connect with the artists they love on many different levels. Some are casual listeners, others might attend a concert or two, and some might make it a lifestyle choice. Think of the deadheads who followed the Grateful Dead to hundreds, even thousands of shows. Whatever the level of fandom, new technologies have radically changed how fans and artists connect with each other. In this episode, we discuss fan engagement with Kevin Brown, who joins us from Canterbury, England. Kevin is the founder and CEO of Fan Circles and has worked in the tech industry since writing his first game back in 1983. He went on to run various companies and exited several, most notably Affiliate Window, where he was founder and CEO. Kevin, welcome to Beat Seeker. Hi, nice to be with you. Thank you for asking me. So, Kevin, we wanted to talk to you today about music fans and how the internet has changed fandom. But before we get into this, we thought it might be helpful to share some of your background story. You've had an interesting career. You built a very successful software company and then jumped into managing bands, including one of the biggest tribute bands, Australian Pink Floyd. Can you tell us about that transition and how you went from tech exec to manager of a cover band? It's an interesting story, really. I think so. Um, my internet com- company called Affiliate Window, uh, which I ran for 12 years, uh, I'd sold and kind of thought, well, it's got very corporate now. I love the entrepreneurial spirit of a, co- a small company that just kept growing, to be honest, to, to the point there was 200 staff when I sold it. So going back to sort of non-corporate was always an interest of mine. And obviously music was an interest. And actually, fascinatingly enough, uh, I booked the Australian Pink Floyd to play uh, a, a, a party in my garden to celebrate the end of the uh, the company. And uh, by, by the end of that day, got to know a couple of the band. And within a few months, I was uh, on one of the tour buses with them. and. Uh, trying to understand their uh, current in situation and why they seemed uh, unhappy. Um, and uh, that led into managing a, a group of nine people. Um, most of the shows were kind of theatre shows at, the, at that particular point. Uh, 120 shows is what I took it up to with shows in venues up to 22,000 people. We did It was kind of a two nights at Red Rocks or, you know, that kind of thing would wow. be the level. And I guess really, you know, coming from a corporate world that has data on everything, coming into the music world that has data on nothing, uh, really shocked me. Um, and uh, we then started building out fan circles and uh, you know, that's where, where that all went from or came or went to. That's it. Really sounds like a really fun transition anyway, to go from, you know, from tech to managing Australian Pink Floyd and now to fan circles. So can you explain to our listeners a little bit about what fan circles does? Yeah, I mean, fan circles has been a fascinating journey um, and probably one that I got into a little bit too early. Uh, So we launched it about six years ago or we began development about six or almost seven years ago, actually. And... um, 
I put uh, a few million of money behind this to get this going uh, and to build a my vision at the time which is the same now really was to build an independent facebook uh something that you could switch the whole platform on its head and say instead of mark zuckerberg being the owner of the platform make this the artist and if you make it the artist then and you also take away uh the uh, algorithms that are all about advertising you've got a very clean way that you can reach a hundred percent of people so our platform or platforms, which is very important, uh, are individual per artist and allow that artist to migrate all of their followers or their fans uh, from the social platforms into a place that they can call home. And I think that's home not only for the artist, but also for the fans. It's a, a community without the sort of um, love-hate relationship we have with normal social media, and without the without the trolls, basically. Um, so when you have a community of like-minded people, and they're all in the same place, then that that that, that forms this amazing sort of friendship um, between them, and, uh, and and grows exponentially, including the artist feeling that they're more connected with their closer friends so got it so, so like if you look at facebook is sort of one big monolithic site where people go to interact on various topics it sounds like what you were doing was a little bit different which was that you were trying to build tools so that the artists can build their own kind of fan community club that is specific to them so so there's not some big site centralized site it's more of a decentralized thing where each artist i think i saw on your site that you have like ub40 or ed harcourt or artists can use your tools to sort of create their own fan club effectively yeah that's right i think i think ultimately i mean the the, the thought process boils down to this that you know if if there was an artist that released an album on universal if the album said universal in big letters across the middle but said at the bottom music by x it's kind of the same thing when you look at what facebook is it's kind of the the thing that sells is the artist and and, and just like the promoter sits behind the scenes we sit behind the scenes providing the tech for a platform that is branded as the artist and if you've got that situation there's no ambiguity about whose platform this is and there's a lot of trust that's built between directly between the artists and the and the fans and i think that equally goes when it comes to uh, revenue generation that um the fan knows that this money is not being split somewhere between uh, facebook or youtube or or twitch or wherever it might be but they're actually receiving what they should receive yeah so fan clubs have been around forever right I, we'd like to trace a little bit of the the history of the fan club i mean at least since the beatles era it's not a new concept but today the internet has enabled new ways for fans to engage with the artists. What do you think is, is different about being a fan now or in the modern age than it was say in the, you know, sixties, seventies, eighties. And, and, and what does a fan club really look like today? Yeah. I, mean, I think the biggest thing is this absolute, that's a confusion between number of followers and number of fans mm. and they don't correlate and it causes a hell of a lot of problems, I think, for people mentally as well. Particularly, I mean, we're all vulnerable. And I think musicians particularly in a situation where they're facing their public. Um, I think the problem is 
We all know that Taylor Swift doesn't have 76 million fans, which she has on Facebook. She's just got 76 million people that have, at some point in the last, what, 12 years, have, uh, have liked something and followed her at some point. And I think that brings a big problem, actually, because how do you then separate followers from true fans? There's plenty of people out there that can get millions of top probably hundreds of billions of, of, of followers, uh, but they're not musicians. Uh, they're content creators. And I don't think, I think musicians are getting confused about what a content creator is. And I think the narrative out there is that you have to create lots of content to be successful now. Um, and yeah, that works. It does work, but it works for an Instagrammer. Uh, it doesn't work for an artist too well. Um, and I think also there's a lot of disparity between um, plays and the measurements that we're all using these days. And I, uh, one, one particular one, I couldn't quote the exact figure on this one at the moment, but I remember looking back and doing a talk a couple of years ago and comparing the top played artist on Spotify to the highest paid revenue artist that doesn't need Spotify. And it was fascinating to see that Drake uh, was streamed uh, more than anybody else, I believe, in that particular period of time, and also had social media followers of, of equal proportions. I think, I, I think from memory, 110 million uh, followers on various different social platforms. And then looking at the other end of the spectrum, and looking at the highest earners for that year and saying, well, why is it that Depeche Mode with 7 million people on Facebook have generated $160 million in tour revenue? Uh, and Drake came nowhere near that. Um, so you've got a really strange sort of world out there that things that are, I guess, seem to be cool, have a lot of followers, that, but things that aren't cool as they always have been. Yeah, that's interesting. So I guess what you're what you're sort of, sh I guess, tr showing the difference between is that followers doesn't equal fans, as you say, and that some bands seem to have more of what we'll call uh, super fans or really engaged fans than others. And, um, you know, you gave an example of Depeche Mode, but there's others, obviously, like The Grateful Dead, for example, has is probably not the biggest band in the world, but they've got these people that the deadheads that will follow them around and camp out all summer long, you know, following them around from city to city and basically become a, this become this group. It's a great example. Uh, it was very interesting. I, I, I was trying to def I've always tried to define this um, anomaly, I guess, between these these different groups and 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 saying, well, you know, why is it that? I guess one of my questions to myself has been, why is it that Adele, why is it that Drake, et cetera, can play arenas? Um, but I, I, I don't think they have as many fans as what their social media marketing appears to have. And I was, it was very interesting. I spoke to a merchandising guy and he said, oh, right, that's really easy. You just miss one vital ingredient here. It's, it's uh, they're, they're date night bands, he called them. And I thought, okay, so what do you mean by that? And he said, you don't buy a T-shirt after the Adele gig. 
You don't buy the T-shirt at the end of the Drake gig. You go once. You take the girlfriend or the boyfriend or whoever, and um, and that's it. You, you go and watch them, but there's no sort of real sort of glue that keeps you there as a fan. Um, and it then became apparent that really the, the fandom is, is probably shown best in, in, in merch sales. If you sell a lot of T-shirts, you've got a lot of fans. Mm. And uh, Yeah. If you divide sort of merch sales by streams and sort of say who has the most uh, concentration or ratio. But what do you think it is about some bands that are able to um, develop this concentrated super fan following versus others? I mean, obviously, as you say, Drake is is a huge, you know, has a ton of streams. And I'm sure he's got he does have a lot of fans be just proportionally. But but as you say, some are more concentrated. What do, what do you think it is about those bands that that develop that engaged or uh, really, really engaged following? I actually think we're all working from the wrong metric. I, if you think back to the days of radio, uh, and, and actually in the UK, by the way, we don't have the same kind of radio stations that you have there in the US. We're very kind of, we look after the 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 people at the top of the, the Spotify charts, let's call it. Uh, but when it comes to, say, rock radio, for example, we don't really have that circuit. So I guess there's a problem in that. We always used to measure the popularity of an artist by how many physical units they sold. But at the same time, only according to somebody at Live Nation, I forgot the uh, the CEO's name, according to him, uh, he always uh, is, is pretty well known that roughly about 1% of the population go to gigs. Now, so you've got 100% of the population almost listening to Spotify instead of radio. Um, 99% of those have always been passive listeners of music and still the one percent have been interested in gigs merchandise and albums so if you start measuring by number of plays you're basically measuring by number of plays on a radio station almost it's almost the same comparison but the problem is you're bringing in that 99 percent of the population that would never go to a gig so all of a sudden you get this extreme skew on data which means drake becomes this big and a very uh, niche rock band are in, seem to be in, in, insignificant in the equation, yet the fandom is still with the insig insignificant uh, band uh, that's selling merchandise and has their group of fans uh, in their own community. I feel like some some bands or some followers of bands, f big super fans of bands, almost it's almost like a lifestyle. Right. Or they really identify with that. I mean, Deadheads is, is definitely an example. This is a, a bit of a more obscure band, but Insane Clown Posse has the Juggalos that dress up sort of in this kind of black and white, almost mimish clown makeup and and follow follow them really rapidly. And, you know, I, I as opposed to, you know, being a Drake fan, you might be a big fan of the music, but it, it doesn't have this same kind of I'm not going to dress in a certain way necessarily because I'm a Drake fan or a, you know, a member of Beyonce's beehive or, or something like that. It's interesting. It doesn't have the longevity and it's quite clear, but then you can also, you know, this is not old versus new. It's easy to talk about Grateful Dead. It's easy to talk about uh, Depeche Mode, but I mean, look at Miley Cyrus. She's got actual fandom and, mm. uh, you know, that, that, and, and, and another guy, I think that's very important. That's, uh, 
not really broken through as important would be Harry Styles from um, One Direction. Now mm. his music, in my opinion, it's, it's great. It's well, well written music, very, very well written. Uh, but in terms of uh, breaking through the Spotify thing, it's not really worked too well. That doesn't mean his fandom isn't there. Yeah. His fandom is absolutely incredible. And do you think the artists are, so it seems like the, the, in some cases, the artists are managing their fan clubs pretty closely. And in other cases, they're just more organic and that the fans themselves kind of form these communities. Do you see any difference in terms of the this concentration of fandom in an artist, given, I guess, the artist's involvement versus this just sort of bottoms up organic, uh, rabid fans that develop by themselves? I think. As you said earlier on, you know, what, what are the things that have changed within fan clubs, let's call them, over the years? I think that if in 1998, 99, when the labels thought they could run websites for artists better than the artists, the artists either did one of two things. They, they left it to the label, uh, at which case they probably began to lose data on their users or the, their users, their fans. Um, they also probably had a MySpace page, which at the point was very easy to reach fans. Then obviously over time migrated to Facebook, which made it even more difficult to reach fans. You don't know who the fan is, you know their name and their profile picture, but that's it. So the barrier is built between uh, the artist and the fan with advertising platforms such as Facebook. And I think there's a number of bands that, uh, luckily, uh, didn't go that route and continued to com communicate with their fans directly um, and have done that extremely well. And there's other bands that didn't do that. And since the early 2000s, the, the, a lot of careers have declined because of not knowing how to communicate with people. And I guess getting into a mindset now of, of thinking, well, the only way to communicate is Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or or Spotify or, or YouTube. So I think it, it's 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 as much of an educational piece, I think, as as it is um, uh, something that's just changed in the industry. Um, yeah. On a related note, we wanted to talk a little bit about the rise of of sort of quote unquote stands. Uh, listeners may have heard the term stan before. For the uninitiated, it's a combination of fan and stalker, coined from the Eminem Dido collaboration of the same name. Listeners might remember the uh, the the video um, where he had an obsessed an obsessed fan named Stan, and it's sort of been brought into the modern parlance of of, of fandom. Um, you know, he was sort of pushed right to the edge when his idol wouldn't answer his fan mail and wouldn't engage with him directly. So it's, it, it's more now, I would say even morphed the term Stan has morphed to mean more than, uh, you know, just more of a very rabid fan, you know, than necessarily a stalker. It's not necessarily so, a negative. Like they're saying it's like yeah. a badge of honor to be a, a Stan, if you will, in that I'm that much more dedicated versus a stalker doesn't sound so good. <laughs> yeah. And my teenage daughter uses it as a verb. She says, you know, do you, and, and it also has become even, you know, even outside of music, she's like, oh, my friends are all standing squid game right now. Um, yeah, it's not. It's certainly not reached the UK or people of my age in the UK. So uh, maybe my kids would uh, know that. I've never <laughs> heard that. <laughs> well, there there are, have been some interesting stories, uh, you know, of these let's call them rabid superfans or stands 
even wielding their influence on the internet. I'm sure you're familiar with some of those. In one case, oh, a young yeah. fan, you know, badgered the band Weezer on Twitter until they eventually agreed to cover uh, the song Africa by Toto in response to this stand saying, you have to do it, you have to do it. And, you know, they, they ultimately relented and it became a huge hit. I mean, their, their biggest hit in, in, in over a decade. And, you know, in other cases, stands have even attacked perceived enemies of the artists, uh, you know, critics uh, who say something not even negative. In some cases, a very nuanced, constructive review will bring on the stands and they will essentially become, ta- uh, you know, uh, in some cases, even doxxed or, you know, their personal information leaked onto the internet, uh, canceled. Some have even received death threats. It's an interesting one. Yeah, we we do have people that come into fan apps, of course, that are all these people. But I think it's the environment they're in. I think if you put these people on Twitter, then they can go wild and crazy and the, the whole world is uh in quotes listening i think if you again if you put them in a community where nobody's arguing with them they very soon run out of arguments so it it, it's pretty self-policing believe it or not i'm not saying there isn't the odd absolute you know crazy person that you have to ban from the app completely because they camp outside the the house the house of the artist for example but uh there are the odd few of those that we have to measure and monitor but we do that well we 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 know how to make that work and and to keep them not not going any crazier than what they currently are but keep them sort of confined in a group where at least this is not going worldwide there's not going public to, to quote yeah, well, I've even I've heard a story about um, a music music critics who are saying that they will not give negative reviews of an artist anymore because of the internet backlash they receive is just so overwhelming and getting threats to them and all this. So instead of writing a negative review, basically they've just chosen not to write the review. And so the silence is basically their sort of statement of, I didn't like this album, but what they won't do is go out on the record and actually say anything bad because they're afraid of the tsunami of the backlash that's gonna come at them. Yeah, again, I think if you put, um, we, we just don't have this problem in the apps that are, are, are artist branded, that, that it just does not exist. And, you know, I, I always have envisaged it being a, a problem. Um, and we built the mechanisms to block people and to report people. And I think we've had three or four reports every six, five, six years. You know, it's, it's, it's not been something that. Uh, maybe it's, it's a social a, media thing then more. Maybe it is. Because, I, I really as you say, because, that. yeah. Yeah. You know, one, one of the other, um, we, on a couple episodes, we've had artists that we interview and, um, ask them about tech and how it's changed being an artist. And one of the common themes that seems to come up is when you get to the topic of social media, they, they sort of, you know, roll their eyes and it's sort of, okay, I I have to do it, but it's kind of killing me in that there's this expectation, uh, from their fans that they're, you know, their lives are out there in the open and every little last thing is being published and they're a daily basis dripping stuff onto, you know, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, etc. And there almost seems like there's a bit of an exhaustion that you hear in their voice. Have you heard that or observed that at all from, from artists and that this sort of scope of all these different platforms and the sort of expectation of being sort of constantly 
uh, feeding the machine is 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 overwhelming. Yeah, I, it's the first question people ask after speaking to us: Is this another job? Is this another thing that I've got <laughs> to do? And and I think what's fascinating about this is that th there's no need to be posting as much as the Cardassians post, for example. That th there's really no need for that. I mean, we we find that on average, an artist will maybe go live in one of our apps um, once a month, but no, there's no commitment. This is the thing. I think the, the, the point with the with, with our platforms, they're, they're kind of a combination of, I guess, Facebook, YouTube, and Patreon all in one place. So the problem with Patreon is that it's only for paid people. And of course, then it excludes the free people. So, I've, I've known artists, music artists, launch on Patreon, which I think does work for types of artists really well, but I don't believe it works very well for music artists. I've, I've, I've yet to really find a method. I've seen the odd people that the odd person that's been managed to make it work. Um, but on the whole, the problem is this, that, and again, this is thinking about the fans and the artists, that if you've got your free users on Facebook and you've got your let's call it premium content on Patreon, the free fans become a bit angry in this situation. So what we've built is a platform that allows everybody in to one place and then allows them to see what they're missing out on and upgrade and pay for a premium subscription. Now, that really helps in two ways. One, it generates a hell of a lot of money. Um, but secondly, the artist is speaking to all of their fans on an equal basis. And that makes the artist feel more secure with the number of fans they have. And there's also that, that line of free versus paid and it just goes away. And I think what that also does, it allows, allows the artist to think, well, this doesn't have to be this next live broadcast or this next video or this next comment doesn't have to be that thought through that people will ask for their money back for afterwards because it's not good enough because it's all part of a premium package, a subscription package, which includes anything and everything the artist would do. So it takes pressure off the artist compared to, say, for example, um, the, 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 the trend of doing a live broadcast gig during lockdown um, and a ticket price for that and bands panicking about the, uh, the production value of it. So if you take away the individual ticket and turn it into a subscription, then all of a sudden that whole pressure drops because it doesn't matter if you want to just go live and do a little live broadcast with a, an acoustic guitar, mm. or if you want to do a full broadcast with multi-camps, or if you just want to talk to your fans. You know, there's so many ways you can do that without the barrier of thinking, oh God, people are paying for this particular mm -hmm. aspect. So it takes away all that problem. It's like freemium, freemium uh, subscription fan club. <laughs> it yeah. absolutely is. It absolutely is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We recently also interviewed uh, Bryce Carr, an executive from a crypto platform called Rally. And what they do is they help artists mint creator coins that can then be used to access special content. Uh, one of the examples was Portugal Demand Coins. Have you followed the rise of crypto at all? And what's your take on the impact of this crypto technology or creator coins on fan clubs? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And particularly Rally. Uh, very interested in Rally. And also spoken to uh, Kevin Chow, who is the CEO, um, and several people uh, around the subject, which uh, there's something very big that we're working on at the moment, connecting well, certainly Rally's front end with our back end. I think if you look at Rally, the IO, uh, it is a fundamentally it's Patreon, mm-hmm. but you pay by uh, crypto. Um, I think the beauty of it compared to launching your own coin, which is, to be honest, very, very easy uh, with the right websites. It's, it's pretty damn easy to do this. The problem is with running your own crypto rather than something with like a rally uh, coin in between is that there's no intrinsic value and there's no liquidity. Um, so it's very hard to buy and sell. Now, what Rally do very well, which is what excites me a lot, is they provide that level of liquidity. It's already listed on Coinbase and, and, and other uh, platforms. So the liquidity of the coin is already there. So it's kind of launching an artist coin on the back of Rally is very, very easy. So it's your name, it's your coin but it's tied to the value of, of, uh, and, the, and the liquidity of Rally. And I think that's fascinating. That had to happen in order for this to actually have legs to go further rather than creators thinking that they could create their own currency and then not be able to actually trade it or make any, any, any value for it. So I love what's happening at the moment with crypto. And I think it's the perfect uh, way to combine and to give value to fans going forward. So, so right now, I think, you know, there's examples where if I have, say, the PTM coin, Portugal, the main coin, I can get access to a Discord channel to get access to music or videos that I wouldn't otherwise get. Is your sort of thought that this could be connected to platforms like your own such that it would the the hold the holders of the creator coin with that would gate access to different premium content that may be in fan circles absolutely i think that's exactly what you described there is the issue that 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 actually when you have somebody as a fan on patreon or on rally or on any other platform uh that that it seems to for some strange reason have become uh the the default place for content is discord which strangely enough is is really more of a gamer uh, platform than anything, but it shows that um, there's a need actually for a platform to fit into that place, and 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 due to the lack of it, that's the reason I think people are going to to allow people's access to things that um, have different levels of of premium. So I think it's just technology that's out there that's being reused for different purposes, which clearly shows me there's a big uh, reason for our platform to work. Yeah, for sure. No, I think that could be a great combination. So Kevin, shifting gears, uh, we like to ask our guests if they have a music recommendation, something that they're into lately. Um, do you have any any picks to share? I do actually, yeah. Um, I've got two different bands that I've been, that are very different to each other. Uh, one's an Irish band. Um, uh, it's called All of, or she's called All of Garthland. Uh, she had a top 10 album in the UK and Ireland uh, a few weeks ago. Um, somebody that very interestingly came from a YouTube background when she was 15, uh, bypassed the whole music industry and somehow is playing 1,500 to 2,000 capacity venues around the UK and Ireland. Um, that's fascinating because it seems to be outside of the industry and fantastic girl, fantastic. That's awesome. Band. 
fantastic artist. Uh, and the other one would be a rock band out of the UK that supported, I think, people like Skunk and Nancy, Garbage, um, and several other bands called the Pearl Hearts. Um, and I've just had the privilege of listening to their new album. This isn't out yet. And uh, and it's fantastic. I think there's, there are two bands that I'm watching very closely at the moment. Awesome. That's uh, that's great. So if people want to follow your work online, what's the best place uh, to look you up or look your company up? Is it fancircles.com? Yeah, I mean, yeah, fancircles.com. Um, or we're on Twitter. We're not on Facebook. Uh, we're not really on Instagram. Um, we just stick to Twitter and the website. So yeah, uh, that's probably the best place. Twitter right. is fancircleshq. And of course, the website fancircles.com. Well, Kevin, that's uh, it's been great having you on the on the show today. It's been a, a really fun conversation. Thanks for taking the time. No, thank you too. Appreciate it, guys. You've been listening to Beat Seeker with your hosts Matt McButter and Mike Wider. If you like the show, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and hit the subscribe button. While you're there, leave us a rating and a comment, and share it with your friends and colleagues. If you want to dig deeper into this content, visit BeatSeeker.fm. That's B-E-A-T seeker.fm. And if you want to be part of the show, check out our Patreon link. Interact with us on social media at BeatSeekerPod. BeatSeeker is recorded in the Devil Lake Studios and the Tunnel Under Arundel. The show is produced by Matt McButter, Mike Wider, and Kate McCartney. Tim Ratledge is our editor. Thanks for tuning in and keep seeking.